hello, good morning, good evening, good whatever it is where you're listening to a podcast that some folks have claimed is your favorite. It's the Carpet Chat. I'm your host, FFG. Joining me, as always, the man with more divorce attorneys than Chelsea have players. It's Salibonomics. Well, it's great to be here tonight, um, and it's nice to see VAR still up to their bullshit. Yeah, we are recording this in the wake of the scandalous, scandalous Manchester United victory. Uh, I'm doing air quotes right now. If this was a video medium, you could tell. Over Wolves, a a team that I mudded and placed as like definitive bottom two, um, who apparently are just elite ballers. Uh, They can't finish. They get screwed over by VAR. Uh, Congratulations, Wolves. You've become 2019-2020 Arsenal. Or even better, I think 2020-2021 Arsenal. You got an eighth place finish on your way, either way. Yeah, and I think I think us in particular kind of forgot they have some ballers on their team, um, and, and I think we because Arsenal um, values our manager so much, we kind of overvalue sometimes the impact of a manager in some situations. I think we overvalued the need for a manager for this Wolf side because. You know, all I, I, all praise to Gary over there, but that's a good squad. That's a solid squad. They have some absolute ballers who makes me wonder why I ever thought there were a lock to be relegated. Uh, I'm going to go the opposite direction on this one. I think Gary O'Neill or Gaza, as I assume the English call him, I, I do not know, but they must, has proven himself to be elite. He just, uh, you can't wear uh, a hoodie when you're a young Premier League manager. He was doing this post-game media in a hoodie, and I just think that really, really saps away your power. He needs to try and make himself look old, I think, uh, and wise. Uh, this, this is a segue or perhaps even a, a beginning of our new opening topic. Uh, you know, we've typically done a waffle back and forth, kind of talking about each other, the world, etc. at the beginning of this pod, I think because you see it on other podcasts. The issue is, um, me and Omics, we don't like each other. We're here, we signed a very bad contract that forces us to do these podcasts. Uh, my lawyers cannot get me out of it. Nomics, I think, is his own attorney, and uh, we're just stuck here. So rather than doing a waffle of sorts, we're instead going to do personal news from around the world of football, talk about some non-arsenal footballing matters, and really keep this as rigid and business-like as possible. Uh, because that's the tone of this podcast. That's what we do. We're we businessmen doing a business football podcast here. And my personal business that I need to take care of is disown any Aston Villa praise I may have given out prior to the season on our, our season preview podcast. I still love Douglas Luiz. I rate some other guys they've brought in. Pal Torres, you know, everybody knows I'm a Jacob Ramsey fan. I cannot carry an Unai Emery cross for, for a moment. I, I accidentally carried an Unai Emery cross for a single match week, and that match week was a 5-1 drubbing at the hands of Newcastle. I am a long-standing Arteta sexual, a long-standing Jaka sexual. I hate Unai Emery, and I will not back his team. I'm sorry, Doug Luiz. You will, you will find justice one day, but today is not that day, and I am withdrawing any of my Aston Villa praise from the season preview podcast. Yeah, and before I touch on that, I do want to say this podcast is essentially the 2021-2022 Brooklyn Nets, where we have three superstars, but we all fucking hate each other. Um, so that's all I'm going to say on that. More to come perhaps later on this week. Uh, although I'm not completely out on Aston Villa like uh, FFG seems to be, I do believe in the history of the Unai Emery second season. And that also is a curse that sometimes is too big of a burden to overcome. For me, on the other hand, though, is I believe I gave Liverpool quite a lot of praise last pod because we were under the impression that they were going to sign Caicedo. And I do want to say now that that is not happening, and not only are they not getting Caicedo, they're also not getting Latvia. And now they have turned their attention to maybe Tyler Adams, who seems to have rejected them to go to Bournemouth. And now they might look at other options. Perhaps they could use a young uh, Belgian center mid that plays in North London, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe uh, sources are uh, saying. Mohamed uh, Elneny isn't young or Belgian. Not oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. That's all we have for center mids that are available, too. Just Elneny. Okay, yeah. Anyway, um, I do want to take back what I said about Liverpool being uh, a dark horse to finish third. I do want to say now that third 
through sixth or seventh, it's just completely wide open and an absolute shit show. And it just depends on who catches fire. But I will say, in that shit show, Tottenham Hotspur are going to be nowhere to be found there. And that is a lock of the century, as well as me thinking that uh, United will not finish in a Champions League spot. And now let me give my thoughts on Nomics's thoughts. Again, this is this is an improvement to the podcast. We're actually listening to what each other say. We're, we're working on this, folks. Uh, first of all, in terms of the carpet chat as the big three Brooklyn Nets, I am James Harden. Nomics is Kyrie Irving. Shook is Kevin Durant. I will not accept any questions on this. I am 100% confident this is the take. There is no denying it. It is the truth. Uh, and in terms of my Liverpool praise, where I rank them third... I certainly thought they were going to sign a six and play Darwin Nunez when I said that. That being said, I wasn't calling them dark horse anything. I just think all of the teams below Arsenal and City in the Premier League are crap. I still think that, probably. But I have to admit, Brighton and Newcastle do have me sleeping a little uneasy. You know, I love to overreact to game week one, game week two, or any individual game week that I can. Uh, so I'm going to just stick it out on the Liverpool one. But much like my Unai Emery accidental cross to bear, I am not bearing the cross of Curtis Jones as a six, uh, and certainly not of benching Darwin Nunez, which is just shameful stuff. The, the Premier League needs to intervene and force them to start Darwin Nunez. It's an entertainment product. I want to be entertained by Darwin. And uh, let me just clarify FFG's clarification. Um, I I have no problem with him being James Harden, but I'm very clearly the Kevin Durant of this podcast, considering myself the Slim Reaper of the of the trio. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think that Klopp should have a two match ban for wa- making us watch Cody Gakpo uh, play center midfield. I don't think anybody wants to see that ever again, nor should he ever be anywhere near that side of the pitch. And I agree, Darwin Nunez has to start up front, not just Darwin Nunez. Ponytail Darwin Nunez has to start up front, and that we can't stress that enough. Ponytail Darwin Nunez is a different beast. Yeah, in a lot of ways, Nunez does feel like discount Holland, but the difference lies in the hair. Holland's hair is disgusting. It's it's long, it's awful. Whereas you saw Darwin let it partially out of the bun, let that ponytail fly. It can't be good for his speed. It can't be aerodynamic, but it doesn't matter. It needs to happen again. This is entertainment. This is not life and death. We need to see it. Um, apparently, Nomics, there was an Arsenal game as well. Um, that's maybe my other bit of personal personal news. And on an Arsenal standpoint, is I remain the least plastic fan in the world. I was up at 4.25 a.m., my time, Pacific time, to watch the Arsenal. And the plastic club and the plastic legacy fans just couldn't get together to do digital ticketing. They had to delay the game anyway. Uh, I could have slept into a, an absolutely plastic 5 a.m. kickoff instead. I did not. The team eventually played. It was Arsenal 2. The other guys, Nottingham Forest in this case, won. Uh, a game to talk about. A game that certainly happened of all the football matches in the history of football. Nomix, let's kick things off. Let's do the usual format. What was your clickbait headline? Mine is The Devil Curses North London. And that's to get the religious nuts to start clicking that link on Facebook because you know how they are over there. But there's a few things here. Maybe maybe the ticketing issue was a sign of things to come. Uh, but ever since Gary O'Driscoll announced that he's going to Manchester United, and before that, ever since Eric Sevenhag said that Arsenal don't get injuries, we have been cursed and plagued with the injury bug. It started with Party. Uh, having a quad issue he played through last season. Saliba's back exploding. Uh, you have Tomiyasu, who was dead last season. You have Granit Shaka, who never is sick, never misses a game, gets sick in the most important game of the year against City away. Follow that up this summer. You have Reese Nelson signing a new contract, gets injured, stubbing his toe, doing God knows what. And then... It, it, it continues on and on. Declan Rice is, has a, had a knock after a week of training. And now the dagger. Urian Timber, Jurian Timber, Mr. Timber, with what seems to be, by all accounts and sources, a torn ACL out for several months. 
Uh, Dr. Raj has given us seven different opinions on Twitter about what he thinks uh, happened to him. It was a dead And one on Reddit clarifying his Twitter post, which I think is the most. He went multi-platform. Yes, yes. Uh, And surprisingly, though, he still has not updated his Patreon account since 2022, which I'm still waiting for as a $16.99 a month uh, Patreon member. But this all seems to be tied to that shitty fucking club in Manchester they just can't stop thinking about us, can't stop trying to steal our back backroom staff people. Gary will just go half a foot out the door. Uh, no replacement yet from us as far as we know. Timber went down awkwardly in the first half. He he came back on in the first half. He got the ball. He kind of seemed a little odd. He, he had like a time where he has hesitation about the touch. For sure we are convinced he wasn't coming back on the 2-0 lead at home against Forrest. What does he do? Comes back on. Gets the ball, takes one a couple of steps back, and falls to the ground, clutching the side of his knee and the and his hamstring. And now he could be out for several months. It's a disaster. Rob Holding is up is up one more in the pecking order, and it's all because that bald fraud who's suck who's who's the bald Emery should I say, uh, putting our name our name in his mouth that he should have no business doing. Worth noting, of course, Manchester United, the Red Devils. There's something to link there, you know? Religious parents at home? To don't let your children be Man U fans. Yeah. To the shock of their fans, apparently, after they released that third kit, their fans, I guess, just completely forgot that they're represented by a devil, and now it's blasphemous because it's on a kit. But that's a whole different topic for a whole different day. I think it's an important one, though. We are, again, we are courting the religious right openly on this podcast, I think. And uh, you can't be a, you can be a Man U fan and support the devil. Or you can be an Arsenal fan, support the Second Amendment. And I think those are clearly the options for uh, undecided uh, Christian conservative football fans sitting at home listening to this podcast, which I know there are millions and millions. That It's tough. It's tough to react to such a devastating injury, we think. We still don't know. You know neither of us are Dr. Raj. We don't have the expertise to judge injuries in seven different ways from the same video viewed seven different times. It's not a great start to a game week. Let me tell you, I'm not looking forward to seeing Rob Holding inverting in at left back, uh, which is the natural progression of things, the way this season has kicked off. At this rate, we will lose 38 starters for the season over the course of the season. That's that's stats. Again, our official stats provider, Canon Stats. Thank you, at Scott J. Willis on Twitter. 38 players lost to ACL tears in a season would be devastating. It's, it's tough to win the title that way. I think even Man City would struggle. Uh, I'm not sure why I'm choosing to remain optimistic. You know, I, I certainly have not been as big of a Zinchenko slanderer as Nomix has on this podcast. I used to be the Alex Zinchenko chief propagandist. I was, of course, released from my position. Um, you know, still still looking for further propagandist employment, if anyone has any leads out there. But I believe in Zinchenko. I say completely and totally unconvinced. You know, there's a chance that we survive this timber thing. There's a chance no one else gets hurt. There's a chance Tomiyasu is able to play an elbow back role and that Thomas Party is able to stay healthy enough to play inverted right back and that Zinchenko plays healthy enough to invert at left back. It's not looking good, blood. I think in the words of AFTV. And uh, yeah, I'm rattled. I'm worried about this. Uh, I, I cannot lie. I'm, I'm quite concerned. Yeah, um, I think the only logical response here is to pull a bag, pull a trick out of the Chelsea bag, and just sign another player. Um, keep signing players until we no longer have any no, where anybody can get injured, and we don't have to worry about it. Uh, personally, I think we should sign uh, 14 center backs that can play left back or right back, and also invert in that position. Um, we got to find everyone in the market, and we got to bid every single one. Maybe maybe a five million loan with an option to buy for a hundred million. Who knows? Uh, just be a do special, hopefully. But yeah, it, it's it's not looking it's not looking good. It kind of it, it kind of took the air out of the sea at the beginning of the season, right? I, I I think Arsenal Twitter, Arsenal fans in general are a little down, more down than we should be after seeing how bad the other teams are. Ra- quote-unquote, around us played this weekend and how well we played for 70 minutes, 75 minutes. Um, so it, it took a lot of air out of the new season. 
mostly because we have seen the script before, right? We've seen the script where we say, oh, this person went down, but we have cover for this person, we're fine. And then when that person goes down, then we start to panic. Um, that's why we lost, the, that's why we didn't, we bottled the league last season, because I'm more than convinced if Tomiyasu was healthy, we would have had just about enough to, to get there. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's not looking good, and I really, really hope it's not as bad as people are saying it is. And if it is that bad, we need to make a loan signing of some sort to just try to have a have a safety net before we, we break Rob Holding's glass in case of emergency. Hector Bellerin back on loan from Real Betis. You heard it here first. Uh, now this is a natural segue into my clickbait headline, although I do have to just interject that I know the solution here. I pitched it three months ago. It is a Gabrielle, Declan Rice, William Saliba, Ben White backline with Declan Rice coming into midfield from left center back. Mikel, I know you're listening, and you know that's what must be done. Put Declan Rice in the John Stones role. I might be serious. You will never know. My clickbait headline, which was crafted before we knew the extent of Julian Timber's injury. Shoutouts to Chuk. Julian Timber, as some have called him. Or Julian. Uh, was one of a bit more optimism. Uh, again, the optimism felt from a 2-1 season opening win. And it was breaking news. Scientists discover what happens when actual good teams play badly. See, I'm going to push back a little on Nomics's assessment that we played well for 75 minutes. I think it's very easy to look at what Man United did to scrape out a completely undeserved one goal win. And then look at what we did to scrape out a much more deserved one goal win and feel, well, if Man United played badly, then surely we played well. We did not play well. We played incredibly sterilely. We had no threat. We could not penetrate their defense. We were bailed out by some phenomenal players making phenomenal plays because that's what happens when you're a great team. You go out there, you play badly against the bad team, you're still just so good that you maintain 80% possession, and you have a couple superstars who do a couple of superstar maneuvers, a Gabby Martinelli assist, a Bukayo Saka goal, and that wins you football games. We've been wondering it for years. Why don't we win games this way? And it's because we weren't that good. We are that good now. We played horribly. It doesn't matter. You win anyways because you are that much better than your opponent. I'm going to push back on that heavy. I don't know if FFG has that a, uh, a chance to uh, rewatch the match. Um, I don't know if you can give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down if he has or hasn't. I have not. Uh, you have not. Okay. Let me just tell you something. We played very well. We played very well. Um, but the thing that we have to get used to as a fan base, um, uh, as as a lot of right uh, red pill uh, talking hosts like to say, uh, we used to be beta males and now we are alpha males. <laughs> We're, uh, we're really courting all sides of the right-wing yes, political spectrum on this pod today. Wow. Exactly. Wow. Uh, as an Arsenal Joe pod, Rogan, please come on the carpet yes. chat, I suppose. We are no uh, longer betas. Uh, we are alphas. And as alphas, teams, um, as you see when they play City and why City plays what we think they play, a boring structure, is they're going to drop back, they're going to clog the middle, and they're going to block good shot opportunities. And we just don't have a freak like Highland to finish. So you watch that game back, and I know I'm getting a little bit of a EBL 2009 here, whatever his fucking account is. Uh, we 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 did have a little bit of trouble breaking them down, and yes, there was there was uh, a couple of moments of individual brilliance, which led to the two goals. But the thing is, that's going to be the case all year against uh, 80% of the squads. We're going to have to break them down. It's not going to be pretty football. It's not pretty passing sideways and then trying to find the gaps and taking shots. But if you watch it again, which I know FFG will watch this week, uh, Declan Rice had a couple chances that he almost scored. He had two, three really good shots, one off the post. Um, Eddie could have had two goals. Uh, Saka could have had another goal. And in a, I saw a very credible tweet suggesting that Eddie could have found Kai Havertz at the back <laughs> yes, post. So. A very non-controversial tweet that on Eddie's goal, he could have passed to Havertz. Um, and Havertz could have had two assists. Uh, the point is, we had a lot of chances, and we are clin- we weren't as clinical as we should be. Or Forrest also just played the game plan very, very well. Uh, I, I'm, I was also, after, after the match kind of in that down mood, thinking we did not play well. I'm kind of concerned about the season. We're not going to make do as well. When I rewatched it, I felt a lot better. Um, we completely dominated them, and it was just a matter of 
they played their strategy of what we're going to have a couple moments to attack them a self either they're going to fall asleep in the midfield or defense or they're going to make an error defensively and they're going to lead to a chance and we have to finish that chance and they finished one of the three chances they had uh, whether Ramsdale will do more or not that may come in later to play for me uh, in this pod but I think we played very well for 75 minutes and even the last 10 minutes or so where we thought it was chaotic uh, I think we played a lot better than people think. It's just that you heard the Forest fans going crazy, so it made us nervous. Yeah, I, I agree that I think we threatened in that last 15 minutes. I think the the real down period was earlier in the second half, yeah, maybe minute 60 to 75 or something. Um, I'll, I'll accept that pushback. You know, I, we will you know, stay tuned on the Carpet Chat Patreon, I'm sure, for the Carpet Chat rewatch, where we just take the AVP rewatch and put me and Nomics's faces over over Clive and Elliot. Um, we rewatch the rewatch, and we just exactly on their comments of the. Rewatch. And we're just we're only allowed to speak when Elliot or Clive is speaking. We got to lip sync with one or the other. Um, you know, we're we're doing it live here. We're coming up with new content ideas, uh, new pipelines. We're trying to be a little bit more like Dr. Raj, come from a number of different perspectives. I'll accept that. I'll accept that this wasn't really the old classic donut of sadness, which is obviously the first thing your your mind goes to when you see 80% possession and roughly the same XG as the opponent. Uh, it definitely was a little different. I think you're right. It was a little bit of a lack of incisiveness and decisiveness in the final third. Couldn't really make that killer move. And I think because of how good the team was last year, you probably have to give the benefit of the doubt that that was just a bit of an off day uh, in the final third as well as Nottingham Forest just playing a very effective low block, doing their job reasonably well. I mean, they can see, they give up two goals. They didn't play that well with the low block, but did a decent enough job making things difficult uh, on the boys, as they would say. Uh, I think that's probably enough clickbait headlines on us. You know, we brought in, we did acknowledge uh, the Red Pill podcasters as well as the religious right. Is there anyone else you want to bring into our, our very terrifying Big Tent coalition here, Nomics? Um... I'll try to find a way to bring in the anti-vax community too. Well, you mentioned Granite Jacket never gets sick, so yeah, never Mourinho got. convinced him. Mourinho convinced him to get the COVID shot. No, no. Uh, please support public health measures uh, of all sorts. Uh, public health, as Johnny Minerals would say. Shouts out to mental health. Shouts out to to public health as well. He might say big ups. Actually, we'll find out. We'll find out. I'll, I'll ask our producer to pull that up. Uh, let's move on to the rest of the format. Nomics, you want to do Slander Center first? It seems like you're rearing to slander, and that way we can close with Chubb of the Week, a little bit more uh, optimistic yeah. at the back end. I'm not rearing to slander. I kind of had to force this one upon us. Um, I guess my Slander Center, it's 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 a rough one because I don't think anybody played particularly terrible, um, and I was my initial slander was going to be me touching upon my timber takes and stuff like that, but I kind of already touched on that. So the, the Slander Center is going to be uh, Aaron Ramsdale for me. Um, and it's a harsh one. It's a harsh one. Uh, I just feel that he needed to have a clean sheet this match. I just think he needed to have at home against Forest first game of the season. Uh, I was going to say with your, when you're with your strongest first 11, but Gabriel didn't start for one reason or another. Uh, we can maybe touch on that later. Uh, I just felt like he needed a clean sheet. I do feel like he could have done more on the goal. I think a lot of the, a lot of goals we concede, come from the wing and crossed into like the near post. And it's usually like first timed in, which objectively looks like a tough shot, but I feel like he doesn't make himself bigger in those situations and doesn't say much considering David Raya is, is four foot seven and isn't going to help that much in that department, making himself bigger. But I just think for a, for mental to be mentally sound and to be confident, he needs to kind of leave this match with a clean sheet and I don't think he did that. Well, he didn't do that. And I think that it, it could it, it it could affect how quickly Raya gets into the gets into the lineup. Um, I hate to say it. I do, I don't know. I don't think Raya's a much an upgrade, if any, over Ramsdale. But I think it's if he keeps conceding against teams that we shouldn't concede against. Um, I, I I think that it's going to open a door for Arteta to make the move earlier than we think. You know, I always knew that this day would come, um, the day that Nomics was exposed as a narrative merchant. Uh, what wore a narrative, as the English would say. Uh, tremendous just narrative-based analysis here. We, we have our points, and we stick to them, and we adjust reality to fit them. 
Uh, I thought you were going to get into something with like goalie positioning and how the the hard Ramsdale saves are actually easy and he just doesn't position. I'm not sure what I was expecting, but uh, I'm not sure if there's that much there there, you know? Uh, Raya might come in and, and just take the number one spot. Raya might not come in. Why have we not announced David Raya? Uh, is everyone okay over at the Arsenal media team? Um is Win the Dog just so entertaining that they can't move the camera off of the dog over to David Raya, who's been waiting with his training kit on for the past 72 hours? Um, I, I think there's a goalkeeper battle brewing, certainly. Uh, one of these guys is going to go over the next year or two. We're not keeping both of these guys long term. But while I wouldn't count this as a resounding victory for Aaron Ramsdale... I don't think Mikel Arteta is going to be nitpicking uh, that one goal allowed uh, on tremendous XG, to be fair, um, in a game in which Ramsdale had very little to do except for a, a pretty unsavable shot that uh, you think he should have done better on, apparently. I don't know. I, I just think you watch that goal from behind, a camera from behind the net, and as someone who knows goalkeeping coaches and stuff like that, and I feel like they would be upset if they conceded. I just think Ramsdale's a big lad, and he should make himself bigger in those moments, and he doesn't. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there is a concern about whether Rai is actually going to come in. Um, I remember we, when uh, El Nani tore his, his hamstring, they waited like a week and a half to finally announce it. It's, it seemed like they rather announce Timber dying than they do Raya coming to the signing to the, for the squad. So that's concerning. Maybe the deal's off. Maybe we need the money now to make a signing to cover whatever, whoever, Timber, and then we're going to just call up, uh, say, Runnerson, hey, buddy, you're the backup goalkeeper now. Um, who, who knows? Who knows? I mean, Runnerson did keep a clean sheet during preseason. That's a, that, uh, he, didn't, he didn't allow any goals during preseason, which is always uh, something good uh, to have on your in your resume. But, yeah, I, I, I think I, – you know my thoughts on Raya. Um, I think that he he's not coming in to compete. I think he's coming to eventually start um, – the, the structure of the deal kind of th- makes me think maybe that's not the case anymore. But it, it, the more I think about it, the more I think it's another Ramsdale replacing Leno situation. Time will tell. Time will tell. And we will, we will get into the Gabriel of it all later on in my Chub of the Week. However, could that possibly be in there? We will find out. We will find out. Uh, my Slander Center and Chub of the Week, we're, we're mixing it up this week. We're trying to do things never done before on a podcast. I am splitting my Slander Center and Chub of the Week. Uh, I went to an ice cream shop this weekend, and I learned, or perhaps relearned, that you don't have to get two scoops of ice cream to get two different flavors at a lot of these ice cream shops. They will offer you a split scoop. I am split scooping my Slander Center and Chub of the Week by naming the same two people as both my Slander Center and my Chub of the Week in two different aspects. My Slander Center begins... With Mikel Arteta's use of substitutes. I just don't think it's that hard. I, I think, truthfully, he made the right subs this time. I think he has the right squad. I think he trusts the guys. And he brings on the right players. Do it 15 minutes earlier. Someone someone break the clocks on Arteta's eyeline and make him think it's 15 minutes later in the game than it actually is. Everyone in the world could see that the guys were struggling out there around the 60-minute mark. And instead, we waited until we conceded to bring substitutes on at minute 72, 73, uh, outside of, of course, the, the Jurian Timber torn ACL sub, which is a tragedy on many fronts. My second half of my split scoop, and I will be doing both in one because, again, it is a single slander center. This is going to be controversial here. It's going to be very unpredictable. It's Kai Havertz within the offense. It's not even just Kai Havertz on the ball. Um, Kai Havertz was pretty tidy on the ball. It was Kai Havertz not doing the things that make him magic for the most part. We know he's not the most touch-heavy player, and frankly, I think he took too many touches. He had, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he was touching the ball a lot today. We're seeing too much Kai Havertz wall passing, too much Kai Havertz passing backwards, not enough incisive, dangerous through balls, not enough off-the-ball runs, not enough of what makes Kai Havertz the leader of the tall forward money gang Havertz Hive division. Um, again, it's a split scoop. You know he's coming back around in Chubb of the Week. There will be more time to discuss Kai Havertz as well as Mikel Arteta. But I just think in terms of where we were on the attack 
Havertz in a trickier situation between two more low touch players in Eddie and Martinelli compared to like Jesus and uh, Leandro Trossard. But he got on the ball too much and too ineffectively, and it just wasn't the attacking performance that I think we're looking to see out of him. Uh, I have no pushback on your slandering of half slander on Mikel, uh substitutions. I think you're spot on. Um, it, it makes me think that if if Timber didn't get hurt, he wouldn't have been subbed off until like the 75th minute either, and he his leg would have been dangling off his 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 body by then. It, it's just it's just. You know, first game of the season, you have a deep bench now. You have players on the bench now. Like, there's no excuses. You have quality players on the bench. We're up 2-0. We're midfield battles clearly being lost. We're now Party and, and and Rice are blown out of their ass. They 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 need a sub. Even if it's if you don't sub them out and you're subbing forward out and bring Jorginho in to kind of calm down a little bit, that's fine too. But I'm with you there. But I'm going to push back on the Kai Havertz half-slander. Again, I... I thought he had like a 6 out of, 10, out of 10 performance after the match. I think now I'd bring it up to like a 7 out of 10 performance. He he had two great passes that should have been goals. One to Saka, one to Eddie. You, those go in. Those are te- are finished as they should be. And we're having a completely different talk about, about Havertz. Well, then we're only discussing my tracker on the Kai Havertz 20 goals plus assists in the Premier yeah, League. It, meters, yeah, exactly. So. We're only... We're only this would be a full slander scoop for Arteta, and it would be a full chub scoop for Havertz if that was the case. Um, he was taking up a lot of interesting positions. He was playing in the first half. He was playing more um, more left wing than Martinelli was at times, which was very interesting. Um, it makes me think like what the idea was there, whether we just want his see if we could get the ball of him and then play those wall passes that you so much hate. It seemed like that was part of the strategy there. Uh, see, I, I think he played, he played seven, seven and a half out of 10. He, he did look at, t- at times a little lost, a little confused. So did Declan Rice. If you're going to give, if you're going to give, uh, Haberts, uh, some slander, you got to give Rice some slander because there's times where he looked uh, pretty lost as well. Took too many touches as well. Um, but yeah, so I, I think you're a little bit off on that. And again, I didn't see it until the rewatch, so I, that could be the case. I was I was really eyeing mostly him, Rice, and I think I was looking at Party a lot too. Um, so I kind of I just just analyzing what we did in the midfield. But yeah, I, I think the the, the slander good, Havertz half slander bad. And again, part of it I think comes from our expectations for Kai Havertz, where I expect him to be a world beater because I have rated him for four or five years at this point. Um, yeah, not that harsh of a slander for me. I also gave his performance, you know, seven, seven and a half overall. Uh, just a weird one, an interesting one, perhaps is better, uh, better to describe it. I thought I saw, did he have as many touches as Martin Odegaard? It, it was somewhere in that neighborhood, which is just how it, it seems like the kind of thing that should maybe never happen. But the fact that it can happen, I think does reveal kind of the versatility of Kai Havertz, uh, and that he can be a higher touch player. I just think that's not his superpower. His superpower is being surrounded by guys who are high-touch players and having fewer, much more decisive touches that uh, often leads to shots or key passes instead. Uh, it was a weird one. It was a bit of a weird one for, for my guy, Killer Kai. Yeah, I don't know exactly how many touches, but if I had to guess, he had more touches in the second half when we were trying to find him for the outlet ball when we were under pressure. Um, it didn't seem like he was that in, not that into it, but that involved in the first half. But the second half, he had that, you know, he had that uh, that ball over the top that he brought down with his shoulder. Yeah. You know, the, the commentators convinced it was an arm, but it was it was a shoulder. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he had some really good, really good uh, intensity and outlet play in the second half when we needed him the most, and that's the most we can ask from him. Um, at this point, we're we're kind of behind in those games. That's kind of that's kind of the other factor he brings, right? I don't as much as. Um, Eddie is seen as someone who is supposed to be strong and a lot of stuff. He doesn't do that as much. He doesn't he doesn't uh, give us an outlet when we need him to um, in certain situations. And Havertz may look like he moves like a sloth sometimes. He does give us that 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 outlet pass, and I, I think that's another dimension to his game that we're going to utilize a lot. Yeah, there were a couple of funny Havertz lines on AVP across various pods this week, right? Tim just waxing poetic about Havertz going forward to receive the the long ball from Ramsdale and then going back to left eight. 
uh, as well as Elliot admitting that like he's screaming at him, why aren't you hustling as he like receives the ball with his shoulder and sprints away from the opposition as he burns everyone with his pace because he just looks like he's jogging out there even as he's moving past the best athletes on planet Earth in open space. Uh, fun stuff, fun stuff. Uh, or If nothing else, Kai Havertz is a tremendous talking point. He is tremendous content for all the podcasters and whether you are full on Havertz Hive as I am or not. You have to value that. Let's move over to the upside of things. Yeah, we'll, we'll close this section on a high note, Nomics. It's the Chub of the Week. You already know who my split scoop Chub of the Week is. That's my compromise for naming two names, as I'm naming the same two names again in this one. Uh, so should I, should I just go first, maybe, so we have a little bit more suspense for yours? Sure, yeah, I have a split scoop as well for that one. All right, well, now you're just stealing my ideas. This is why we need more regulations in that contract. Uh, My attorneys out there, please get it in writing that I'm the James Harden of the podcast and that Nomics cannot steal my innovative ideas for Chub of the Week and Slander Center. My split scoop Chub of the Week, again, it's Arteta and Kai Havertz. On the Mikel Arteta side of things, it's Arteta's tactical, excuse me, I've lost the ability to speak, his tactical flexibility. I saw again and again last year that the key for Arsenal is to do plan A, and when plan A fails, you do plan A again, and you do it better, and you do it more. And I thought that was the most outrageous thing. That might have been important for last year, as we determine what plan A is, as we build our identity, as we learn how to play. But this idea that the best teams in football aren't tactically flexible just seemed completely make-believe. Uh, around Madrid, all of those Champions League teams have all been completely tactically flexible. And newsflash, Pep Guardiola, I, I don't see how we do this whole Arteta, he's the, he's the Guardiola disciple, he's going to be like Pep, he's a bigger genius than Pep. And you somehow compartmentalize that away from the idea that Pep is famous for his tinkering, sometimes with disastrous results, right? sometimes infamously known for his tinkering. You're never going to be able to do plan A every single game. You're never going to be able to run the 2-3-5, the box midfield, the inverted fullback, etc. Every single big game. And even if you are, you're going to have to change the personnel within it, change the profiles a little. You're not going to be able to go like for like. To do that, you would require two starting 11s, and you would be spending you know double the money for two of the same player in each slot. So I commend Mikel both for listening to this podcast and noting my season preview slander of Gabrielle to bench him. Um, tremendous work, Mikel. We know you're listening. But also in general for going for something tactically, frankly, bizarre, a little outlandish. But that was still clearly core-rooted in our fundamentals. It looked like Arsenal. Just everyone was moving around a hell of a lot more on defense. So I... I rate the specific tactical setup a fair amount, but above all, I just rate doing something weird against Forrest at home. Because if you can't try it out against Forrest at home, you're just never going to do it. As for the other part of my split scoop, the return to Kai Havertz, it's Kai Havertz, I don't want to say off the ball, because again, I think off the ball in possession, he wasn't making as many late runs and then those diagonal runs creating space as I wanted to see. But Kai Havertz in defense. Kai Havertz's defensive positioning, his aggression... Frankly, Kai Havertz had a really good Granite Xhaka game. It was just number 29, season one Granite Xhaka, playing in final season Granite Xhaka's left eight spot, doing defensive responsibilities, being alert, being aware of everything going on, making timely challenges, timely fouls, and winning duels. It was just a tremendous duel-winning performance from Kai Havertz, and uh, frankly, kind of the opposite of what I, I was a little concerned about Havertz as an eight, a proper eight. I was definitely, despite being a big Havertz guy, not convinced he had this level of duel-winning and defensive intensity. I'm just not concerned anymore. I, I truly think that was kind of the floor Havertz performance, and if he can bring that type of defensive intensity and actually replace the Jaka elements of Jaka. I think that's tremendous, and I think we're in for a hell of a season with him. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much more praise I can give Havertz for his first match in a kind of a black bear term makeshift lineup or a new lineup, should I say? Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was a I think it's a good way to, good way to put it. It was a Shaka performance. Um, as much as I dislike Shaka, uh, I think that uh, Havertz offers a lot more than him going forward, so he can have these Shaka performances because he's going to offer that stuff in the final third, like a couple good balls that should have been finished. Um, so I'm with you there. And then you said Arteta, another praise, his tactical. And this kind of will segue into my, uh, I'm, I'm going to call it a, a, 
uh, a twist cone, soft serve twist cone, uh, chub of the the, uh, game, chub of the week. And the first one's going to be the carpet chat. And the carpet chat, specifically me and FFG, specifically because we've been telling you all summer that the way we play last season is not the way we're going to play this season. It's not the future of this team. We don't have one identity. We are signing players that play various roles because we are going to play various ways. We're not going to have one set 11. We're going to have probably seven or eight that are going to be solidified 11s, and the rest might rotate around that. But the point is, everyone freaking out about certain signings. Oh, Havertz playing left eight. He's not playing left eight. He's not playing left eight. He's not playing left eight as we know it, because as we knew it, because this is not the same system. And it, it, it's we try to tell you, are, you think Arteta is going to run back the same system after we didn't win the league with it? Absolutely not. He's not Pep. He's not Pep Guardiola. He's not going to play. He's not going to perfect one system. He's going to set a foundation, which he did last season, which is uh, in case of mercy, this is what we're going to play. We're going to play this lineup because everybody knows how to play it. But we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna make a strategy, a game plan for each specific match, and that's what he's gonna do. And Arteta he brings in players that are intelligent and that are versatile that can do that. Um, so it, it's just we got to give ourselves a little credit here because there's a lot of people who slandered us saying. This player's not going to play this position. Why would we get this player if we, if we have this player already in this position? And that's not the case. Who expected Gabriel not to start first game of the season? Who expected that? Who expected uh, us to play uh, a de facto 3-2-3-3 three, 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 or whatever, if my math is correct? It was some weird... It was, if, you're, if you're looking at, this, at the lineup like numbers, it was something weird. But we have to get beyond this thinking of players in certain positions. The players are playing roles. They're not playing positions. There's no left back. There's no center mid. There's you. Mar- you have to do this in this area. You have to do this in that area. You can you can interact in both zones. Saka was was playing right next to Martinelli at some points in the last match, where he was five yards away from Martinelli in the left in the left wing. Um, it, it, it's just we have to look at football a different way. Other teams are not doing this. We don't want to be like other teams. That's why the minute other teams start doing what we're doing, Arteta's already pivoting to the next thing. And I'm not saying he's a genius. I'm just saying he, he knows how football is played. You don't you typically don't win the, the biggest trophies playing the same way as another team. Typically, you have to make your own identity, and you have to, you have to keep teams guessing, and that's what we're going to do all season. And my my second half of that of that chocolate vanilla twist cone is Martinelli. I think we have to we have to praise Martinelli, which we haven't done in this pod yet. I, I, I'm it's bold to say, but I think Martinelli had probably one of his best matches ever in an Arsenal shirt on 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 Saturday. Uh, he was he was as near flawless as you can be. He was so sharp on the ball. He was not doing the Doganelli just running in in straight lines to the touchline, crossing the ball and whatever. He was coming inside a lot more. He was beating players inside. He was ball recoveries was crazy. Uh, doing he took Declan Rice with these ball recoveries. It, it was it was absurd. And that assist that he got, I mean, if you can say that he didn't mean to do it, but he did mean to do it. You could see in the way his his eyes were looking. You could see the way he he flicked the ball back with the studs through to Enkedia. He was. A ten out of ten until everyone was gassed at the end of the game, and that's fine. That happens. He 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 didn't have the biggest preseason, so it makes sense. Uh, so he is my second half of the uh, chocolate vanilla soft serve cone twist chub of the week. You know, I uh, not the direction I expect you to go with the chocolate vanilla soft serve. There, uh, it is not intellectually and creatively distinct from the split scoop. You will still be hearing from my attorney. You are still in the ice cream space. Uh, I'll, I'll accept the victory lap on the carpet chat. You know, they always say the uh, praise should be as loud as the insults, something like that, the hate, etc. We take a lot of hate. You know, we take a lot of insults. We're in a hostile internet world here, and we put ourselves out there. And we get it wrong uh, occasionally, very rarely, extremely rarely. But we get it right an awful lot as well, and it is true. It is true. The football we played last year is not the football we played this year. We've said it time and time again, and that's the case. Uh, unless you're Gabby Martinelli and Bukayo Saka, to some extent, who I think both, that's where I thought you were going. I thought you were going to go for both wingers there, so I will just give a little extra shout-out to Saka. I think both had, I don't want to say the platonic ideals of their games, both because that's a ridiculous thing to say, um, just kind of verbally. like You kind of put those words next to one another. It's pretty dumb. Uh, and also because while I think I agree that Martinelli might have had his best game in a long time, it, it really wasn't Saka's best game in a long time. B, 
But you saw what both guys provide. You saw why we have two world-class wingers, how they're similar, they're both capable of producing moments of magic that change games, and how they're different. Martinelli, as you mentioned, putting Declan Rice to shame with his ball recoveries. Just an absolute monster out there running up and down the pitch. And Saka, who, when he's not cutting in on his left foot and giving you world-class goals, will just receive the ball on the diagonal 15 times a game and will progress the ball for you that way. It's an absolute cheat code. You get the ball over the halfway line. You find Saka on a diagonal. He takes the ball into the danger area. It's just done. Uh, so that's where I thought you were guy. I thought we had Martinelli and Saka kind of swirled together in a Starboy winger excellence soft serve cone. Uh, uh, Mr. Softy, uh, Mr. Starboy, or something of the sort. But uh, no, I'll take the praise as well. We've got a couple world class wingers and a couple world class podcasters. What's not to like? Yeah, uh, and I do want to slightly slander someone in the Discord earlier today who said Garnacho is our is United Smartnelli. And I want to say that is is absolutely disgusting take. And not only is it just wrong, it's I I, I think it, it just touches our fans underrate our supporters underrate Martinelli. I think we've gone to that point the last year and a half, uh, perhaps maybe because we expect more from him. Uh, but Martinelli has been a bang on starter for his pretty much his whole Arsenal career, except when he was injured in a two month in a one month span last season when Trossard came in for him. Uh, the point is, the, the kid's a baller. The kid is so good. His ceiling's so high. He gets better the more he plays, and he's do, starting to do the stuff that we used to criticize him before in the past. He's starting to do that now. He's starting to cut in more. He's starting to ball recover more. He's starting to play quicker passes, and he's not just hoofing the ball across the box, running down the line, carrying Tierney-esque. He's doing all the things we want him to do. Um, him and Saka are just, they're just baby versions of Mane and, and, and Salah, they're not even half cooked yet. They're all, they're they're going to be so good in the future as long as they stay healthy, and it's going to be great to see what they do this season. Yeah, that's I, I did not see that post, and if I had, I definitely would have hit it with the oh no react. Um, that's grotesque. United does not have a Martinelli. United does not have a Bukayo Saka. Uh, United does not have any of this. Um, but just because I have to upset people and rate other teams and the like, I will say that Arsenal fans disturbingly underrate Bruno Fernandez. He is very hateable i hate him he is disgustingly good as a player he's in the wrong midfield they do not have the right support for him they need erickson next to him to allow him to go be a free roaming 10 essentially but bruno fernandez is a disgusting but also disgustingly good player that is only a one person view on this podcast right now i think bernard uh Bruno Fernandez is one of the most overrated players in the league. Uh, take away his first full season in England, he's produced mid stats, and he will continue to because he is a he's above average player. He's a very good player, but he's not elite. He's not in the Odegaard category. He's not anywhere near there. Oh, he's not Odegaard. No, certainly not. You're just trying to score points. Right, we're making the same point, but Namix is just trying to score points with the fans. Whereas I'm keeping it real. This is the new dichotomy on this pod. We tried to do Ted in, Ted out, but then Nomics ruined that by becoming Ted in. So now uh, I'm the guy who keeps it real, and Nomics is the guy that uh, tries to recruit various right-wing factions to join the podcast. So uh, that's where we're going with this. And is there anywhere else to go with this pod, Nomics? We, we touched on our recap. We touched on some personal football news from around the league. Uh, we're, we're probably, I'm optimistic we'll get another one of these out before the Palace game on Monday. We'll get an end-of-week episode in to do a little bit more preview there. Is there anything else we need to touch on? I mean, you know, we can kind of talk about this. You know, last last pod, uh, you, FFG specifically, were very slanderous of Gabrielle, big Gabrielle. Uh, and I was very defensive of him, saying that he is our most reliable, essentially most reliable defender. Uh, pretty much, pretty much, virtually sucking him off uh, on a podcast. And what all that's happened in the last uh, 48, 48 hours essentially is just pain to me because he doesn't start. Uh, there's there's rumors that he was stuck in traffic from a very reliable source. The reason why he didn't start. Um, and then we get the bomba today from John Cross and some guy who's, who types in Arabic that I have no idea who he is that says that... Tier 1. Types in Arabic, he's Tier 1. Doesn't matter. This All Arsenal transfers. If you write an right. Arsenal transfer in Arabic, you are Tier 1. What did they say? It's haram to spread lies on, on Twitter. So, uh, yeah, he, he, he says that Big Gabrielle 
um, is in advanced discussions with Al Halal, I think what it is, whatever, I don't know which one it is. It's one of the Saudi teams. Um, and that does, they haven't spoken to Arsenal yet about it. If we're, we're this is super early, the sources are super vague, but I, I would say it's hard to believe that we would allow him to leave this this place in uh, this time in the transfer window unless we're getting an exuberant fee, and we know we can get someone, um, get a couple players for that amount. And an exuberant for me is over a hundred million pounds. That, that's all. That's the bare minimum in this situation. But overall, I don't think it's happening. Uh, I just think that. Uh, the media heard me uh, praise Gabrielle, and they're out to get me uh, uh, because uh, the fake news media always wants to attack the loudest and the brightest, and that's me. Uh, I think this is evidence, among anything, you know, that Mikel Arteta and maybe Edu are, are listening to the carpet jet. They hear me slander Gabriel. Um, they're busy men. They probably turned it off before I admitted that I just didn't really have a good slander center and I didn't want to pick a lazy, bad one like so many other podcasts are doing and saying, I don't know, Fabio Vieira is going to be the disappointment of the season or things of that nature. I'm, I'm not naming names here. Uh, AVP, Arscast, everyone else. Uh, so yeah, they probably didn't hear that I was just trolling for content. Um, because no one ever hears me say that I'm just trolling for content. So I, I think they benched Gabrielle. I think now Edu's trying to sell Gabrielle, and they just know. I've told them to systematically remove all Bozo gene from the club, and, and they're sending them to Saudi Arabia and bringing in a non-Bozo left center back. Um, in all seriousness, I, I do agree that it'd be pretty impossible already down a defender to go down another defender of our own free will. But if they're looking to break the world transfer record for a center back, uh, you got to listen. And uh, we'll, we'll see what the pound figures or dollar figures look like when they start to come out. Uh, I think anything less than like, I don't know, 80 mil, you probably just hang up the phone. But uh, around 80 mil, I'm not entirely sure who's out there besides Laporte. And I assume that City would not deal with us altogether. Um, I also don't think Laporte's exactly the, the right fit for replacing Gabriel. He would be more in a Saliba-style role, I think. Uh, is he the right fit for that either? It's a different conversation, but I think just stylistically. And uh, I don't know. Hopefully Edu knows what left center backs are out there because I certainly do not. I do think it was interesting in the Forest game, it seems like Arteta's fetishization of left-footed defenders may have ended he played a, a quote-unquote back line of four right-footed players. It was across the back, Timber, Saliba, White, Party, all right-footers. Uh, so who knows? Maybe he's just decided we're done paying the left-footed center back premium. We'll just go full right-footers, and uh, most of these guys are good enough with both feet. It doesn't even matter. Yeah, I mean, perhaps that's it. Um, I, I think Arteta has played the long game for multiple summers, and what he's actually eyeing right now is to bring in uh, Eric Garcia it's it's been his it's been a fetish another fetish of his over the last couple i can imagine it man i I don't like you saying that it feels too plausible those words came out of my mouth but this has been the summer of signing players we were linked to in the past and this may continue uh so yeah i i think that's probably a good place to leave it just because we went way over an hour an hour and a half last pod and um but i do want to leave you this if you haven't noticed it's just me and me and ffg in here um, Shuk is not here. And the reason why Shuk isn't here is because he went to the doctors the other day and it found out that he actually has a, 